Welcome, and thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com. And now for the message from Pastor Nathan Lang. And I believe it's necessary um, to bring uh, what I'm bringing to you from the Word of God and, and the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 13, and uh, the basis of what I'm covering today is from Acts 13 and Acts chapter 14. We're not going to read all of those uh, in both chapters, uh, but we will, you'll, you'll see it in the, uh, in the message today. You'll see what we're covering. Uh, and so Acts chapter 13, I'll give you just a moment uh, to get there, and uh, looking forward to uh, hearing from the viewers tonight and seeing what God uh, is doing there. And uh, I believe he said, are, are your, your family's going to sing tonight? Still going to sing in Navajo. You're going to sing in English and Navajo. And uh, wonderful, wonderful. And uh, so uh, that's, that's good stuff. So um, <clears throat> that's good. Uh, uh, Acts chapter number 13, and we'll begin reading. The Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Maon, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And, they, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now let me say this, stop there for a minute. In our, in our vernacular, if you put your hands on somebody that's fighting, you know, hey, you're, you know, don't put your hands on me. This was a good thing. This meant that they were for what they were doing. They were blessing their efforts and what they were about to do. In verse number four, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Now I want you to just flip over one chapter to chapter 14, Acts chapter 14. We're going to read a few verses there, and then we're going to get right into the message this morning. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, uh, they, were aware, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there, what did they do? They preached the gospel. They preach the gospel. Now let's pray, and we'll get into the message. Father in heaven, we're asking for your blessing upon this message. Lord, I pray that we would leave here uh, just uh, closer to you than we've ever been. I pray we would leave here right with you if we're not. I pray that you would convict our hearts. I pray that you would edify us. I pray that we would leave here, uh, Lord, just better than what we came in. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so to make a difference, to make a difference, we must send, we must support and partner with missionaries who will go into all the world with the gospel message. 
And we see here in this text, that's what they were doing. And we're going to see here today, uh, you say, okay, the Lord said, go you, go you therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So he gave the great commission. He said, this is, uh, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the gospel, and I want you to get it out there. Well, today, so, so what happens there? Okay, then we usually, we, we, we tune into today. Okay, we're supposed to get missionaries on the field. But today, Today, I want you to look at these men of God who did, who laid the foundation for us. Of course, we know Jesus Christ is the foundation, uh, but as far as getting into the cities, going out into the highways and hedges, and giving the gospel, we're going to see that, and we're going to see uh, some of these cities here today of where they went into and what they were doing, what God called them to do. But the first generation of Christians made a difference in the lives of those around them by seeing people saved, by bringing them and getting them baptized, and, and discipling them in their faith faith. They met with one another's needs. They were, they were about that, and they showed compassion to those outside of the church. I mean, it was an amazing thing. The first century Christians, what they were doing, they were simply going out with the gospel. What is the gospel? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they were to take that and, and tell it to whoever, whoever was breathing, basically. Uh, give them the gospel. And that's what they were to do. It always reminds me of my, my uncle who was in Vietnam. And he was uh, uh, in the Vietnam War. And he, was, uh, he said uh, they were instructed. He said when they were going over there, he said we were instructed when we went out into the, the jungles. He said they told us, shoot anything that moves. Shoot anything that moves. They said that, that's your command. If it moves, shoot it. If it's a bird or whatever, shoot it. And, uh, and he said, and that's what we did. And, uh, and that's what they were instructed to do. But can I say uh, that the Lord, in similar sense, the Lord has given us the great commission of giving the gospel to the world. And can I say that we can't be selective with it? We can't not... Uh, how many of you have ever had somebody offend you and you thought, I was going to give you the gospel, but I'm not now? I, how, you, you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Most of us uh, could raise our hands there. Uh, but you know, it's not up to us to pick and choose uh, who is going to accept it and who's going to reject it. Because the reality is, I've seen some very rough people in my life who I thought, oh, I ain't going to give it to them. They're going to beat me up. And I went to found out that they were the, probably the nicest teddy bear on this earth. They just looked rough on the outside for whatever reason. And so we don't have that right or, or that excuse to not give it to whosoever. And so uh, most of this, uh, this activity that they were doing was, in, was occurring in, relatively, in a relatively small geographic area. And the diameter of their influence would need to grow much bigger. I mean, one person, two people, five people can only do so much. The, 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 the task of getting the gospel to the whole world uh, cannot be laid on the shoulders of one person. Can I say that uh, within Cincinnati, getting the gospel around to our community, uh, which we think right here in Blue Ash, but then we expand that to Cincinnati, uh, to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to the uttermost. So we've got, we've got Blue Ash, we've got Cincinnati, and then we've got uh, all of Ohio and the, the, the greater tri-state region, and then we've got the world. We've got the world. You see, we can't, one man can't reach Blue Ash by themselves. One woman can't reach by Blue Ash by herself. And so we have to work collectively together. That's why he commanded them all, go. And he started, it's absolutely phenomenal, with 11, and 12, 11 12 men. He said, all right now, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out, and I want you to get this thing started. And the Bible says that those men literally turned the world upside down. 
They were so fanatic about it. They were so excited about their faith and sharing it with others that they didn't have time to take a break. They didn't have a time for a sabbatical. They said, we've got a great job to do. We've got to get out there. And the last I checked, uh, our, our planet has a whole lot more people on it than there was way back then. whole lot more people. And uh, the reality is that the, the task is not more than God's people can handle. We are receiving the gospel today because of what Jesus initiated back in the first century with those men. He said, all right, now go, go. And the great thing is you don't know who it's going to affect. You don't know. We, none of us in this room truly know how many people that we've given a gospel tract to or given the gospel to somebody in passing and we never saw them again. We truly don't know what God's done in their lives. But I'll tell you this right now. Uh, I've learned that if you don't sow any seed, if you're, go, if you're planning on having a garden this year and you want to have tomatoes and you want to have cucumbers and you want to have green beans or whatever, corn, if you're going to have that uh, come this, this summer, you've got to get ready to start preparing that ground here very soon, and you've got to get ready to start planting. Am I right? Within the next couple months, all this has to start taking place if you're going to yield that fruit early summer, midsummer. But the reality is, if we're 100% of the, of the tracts and the gospel presentations we do not give, 100% of them that we do not give do not reach anywhere. And so we've been given this commission. If you're breathing air, you're a Christian, you are commanded. You see, uh, I preached a message years ago called, uh, uh, Have You Paid Your Debts? And many of you probably remember that. I'm not going to re-preach it today. Uh, but I realized this years ago uh, that I'm debtor, first of all, to Jesus Christ. But you know, Oscar Cox, who came down and knocked on my door down there on McCullough off of Eastern Avenue, who came down and knocked on my door and got down on his knees and said, hey, little guy, you want to ride the church bus, come to Sunday school? And, uh, and he invited me. And because of that man, I'm, I got saved because of the Lord used him as a conduit for me. Uh, and here's the thing. I feel indebted to Oscar Cox. He shared it with me. Now, I need to share it with somebody. But here's the key. It's not just a one and done thing. It is a continual life. The Christian, li the Christian life is not, there, there's not a destination. Heaven, obviously, is our, is our destination. But in the Christian life, what we're doing here, we're not trying to reach a destination. We've got a journey. It's a lifelong journey that we take on this planet. And so we never arrive, we never get to where we're supposed to be until we get to heaven. And so there's two important lessons to, to think about when we're studying the missionary endeavors of the early church. And first, the journey that we study uh, it was, was consistent with the Lord's specific instructions. He did not, he, he did not, the Lord didn't give us a hazy game plan. He said, this is what I need you to do. This is what we're getting ready to do. And he was very, he was very firm in this and he, he laid it out. You are to take what I've shared with you and you are to share it with this world. And you are to transform this world. We're, we're looking on the news and we're trying to figure out how we're going to fix things in our government, how we're going to fix things in our planet, how we're going to fix the, all this stuff. And the reality is, if anything's going to be fixed, it's not going to be fixed because we've turned over a new leaf. It's going to come because they've received Jesus Christ as their Savior. He is the reason. He is the hope that we have. <clears throat> so he left them with the responsibility to take his good news to the regions far beyond their own. And now in AD 46 or 47, the first missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, do just that. Remember what Jesus said uh, to the 11 before his ascension. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power. 
After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so that's the first area there. But secondly, all of us, not just those on the foreign fields, are missionaries in the broad sense of the term. Uh, the Ewer family here, they're, they're not the only missionaries in this building right now. We are a missionary to the area God has you. Uh, so, many, so many times, uh, Brother Howe, when I was in Bible college, I can't tell you how many students would tell me uh, time and time again as I went up through uh, uh, freshman year, sophomore, junior, senior, uh, they would often say, oh, I can't wait till I graduate so I can be in the ministry. I said, your mission field's right here. Your mission field is your workplace. Your mission field is the grocery store. Your mission field is the bank teller. Your mission field is everywhere you go. That is your mission field. And we've got, church, we must view it as this, that it's not for the missionaries. It's not just for the pastors and deacons and, and assistant and associate pastors. And uh, it's not just for those people. It is for every one of us in here today. And, and so if a missionary is defined as one who crosses boundaries to, uh, to take the gospel to those not yet reached, then God intends every Christian to be a missionary. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, uh, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You know, one church that understood that this concept had a sign posted over their exit doors, and I've seen this in churches, over the exit doors they write up there, uh, you are now entering your mission field. You are now entering your mission field. And can I say this, that we must view where God has us, uh, that we are there for a reason, that God's not finished with us until we take our last breath. So we've got to get the gospel out there. Can, can I just say this? And I, this it, it scares me, but it doesn't. I trust the Lord, but I'll tell you one of the things that scares me is seeing Islam coming into our country and taking over. And taking over. Um, if we're not careful, I, I'll never forget this. A, a, another pastor friend of mine, he was, up, he was up door knocking up near the Muslim mosque off of, off of 75 up there. And he said, he, said, he said, what stirred me? He said, I knocked on a door and he said, a, a, a man, a, a man in, his, in his 40s came to the door and answered. And he said, hi, I'm from such and such Baptist church. And uh, as he got to talking to him, he realized uh, that this man had converted to Islam, an American. But that's, that's not this, that, that's part of, that's half of the scary. The other part, part of the scary is this man said that he grew up, uh, he was a preacher's kid in a Baptist church. And he converted to Islam. And I tell you what, that absolutely sickens my stomach. It absolutely just, just, just scares me half to death because thinking of that, he had the truth. But something went, went astray somewhere in there. Whether it was his part or someone else's, the reality is we've got to continue to reach people. You know, uh, probably about every other week I tell you how I, I, I talk to someone, whether I lead them to Christ or not, but they come up to me and say, you know, I've never heard it that way. I've never, I've never seen the clear picture of the gospel. The reality is most of our community and world, most of them have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And when I say clear presentation of the gospel, I'm not saying that they've never heard about Jesus because they have. I'm not saying that they don't know what church is or ever been there because they have. 
But most of them have never heard the gospel that, Jesus, that God loved them so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to, to live a perfect sinless life on this world, to die on a cross for your sins and for my sin, and to raise again three days later victorious over that. They've never heard that. They've never heard that. I mentioned in my Sunday school class this morning, what makes Jesus Christ, what makes God so greater than every other cult religion or every other false God? The reality is, uh, we mentioned, I mentioned uh, uh, Islam. Islam, Allah, in, in that religion of Islam, Allah expects you to die for Him. In Christianity, our God died for us. There, and if I could say the greatest proof of God, right there, right there. God loves us so, so much that He didn't leave us where we were. He took our place. He took our sin. He took our filth on the cross of Calvary. Will we make a difference through missions in the 21st century? If so, we must not only increasingly send and support church planting missionaries to all the corners of the earth, but we also must be missionaries ourselves. We must have the missions mindset, and that is to get the gospel out. One thing I love, uh, I don't know, I'm telling you right now, if you, if you say, preacher, uh, who, who, who will help me give this vision because you're just not planning it clear enough, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to call up Dr. Charles Keene. He will take any verse in that book and he will make it missions, every verse. I've never seen anyone preach messages like that. He's amazing, and, and it's scriptural. But the point of this book here, in many points, but the reality is God gave us this, this letter, this book, His very words, that we could be instructed on what we're to do and how we're to live our lives and what we're to do now that He's not here physically. Here in Acts 13 and chapters 13 and 14, we learn from the first century journey of the apostles Paul, of the apostle Paul, a threefold strategy for New Testament Christians. Number one, the character the missionaries possessed. The character the missionaries possessed. But it says in, in Acts 13 and verse 1, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, and that called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manon, uh, which had been brought up uh, with Herod the Tetrarch and, and Saul. Reaching people for Christ begins with the character of those on, uh, on, sending, on the sending side of the equation. On the sending side. We are on the sending side of the equation right now. This month is about being on the sending side of it. Uh, as we endeavor to reach others with the gospel, we must determine to be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use. In the, in the church at Antioch, two godly men were selected from the congregation to be missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. And, and notice the characteristics. Notice the characteristics of these men. Uh, I want you to see first, they were men who were faithful in the church. When God chose these men up and he said, all right, now these are the men that are going to go out and represent the church. These are the men who are going to represent Jesus Christ. These are the men who are going to represent the gospel. And verse 1 says that they were in the church and that they were already involved teaching others. You see, I've said this time and time again, a lot of people want to do something for Christ, but they're not doing anything right now. And when I say they're not doing anything, I mean they're not doing anything. And the reality is, God looked out and said, wow, look at that. Look what they're doing. Hey, that's what we want. That's what we want. You know, when we chose deacons in this church, when I, when I said, all right, now it's time for, we need another deacon. When, I rose these, uh, uh, when we rose these men up and I put them before you, I was looking for men who were already doing the job of a deacon without me asking them to. 
These were men who were already going out on visitation. These were men who were already going out on Saturday visitation, but Thursday visitation. If they needed a visit, hey, preacher, who do you need me to go see? Uh, These were the men that I chose for that because they were already doing to work. You know, I don't have time to look for somebody and say, all right, now you come to church twice a month and you you serve, you know, and I'm not saying it's because your your schedule won't allow it because of work, but because because they're just lazy and they want to be a deacon. Nope, big red flag for me. Can I say, when God wants to use you, hey, have that willing spirit. You say, well, I want to serve. I want to do something. Hey, that, you're on the right track. You're on the right track right there. They were men who were faithful. Then verse 2, it further explains that they ministered to the Lord. They ministered to the Lord in Acts 13, verses 1 and 2 there. These were not uh, self-appointed ministry uh, entrepreneurs. They were proven, faithful, steady men. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that they laid hands on them to send them out. We knew, they knew that the church was for it. Can I say this? You believe you're called to God to go out and do a great mighty work, start a church, uh, be a missionary, those sort of things on the foreign field. Uh, You need to have backing from a congregation that says, yes, we're behind you on this thing. Years later, when Paul wrote Timothy, he recalled the importance of this characteristic. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Every Christian, every Christian man ought to strive to live before believers and non-believers alike in such a way that it could be said, he's a faithful man. That's a faithful woman. Every one of us ought to have that testimony. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do, and there's a lot of things that we can't do. But I'll tell you right now, uh, praying is one of those areas that everyone can do. And every one of us can be faithful. You can be faithful. You can be faithful. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 and verse 20, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall shall not be innocent. The world has seen enough flash-in-the-pan, fizzled-out Christians. Enough of it. Hey, faithful, faithful. Uh, my wife and I, we were, dri- we were driving uh, up on 75 the other day, and uh, we were, wherever we were going, and we were passing, and I guess it was at a time where uh, all of uh, the, 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 the Muslims in Cincinnati were up at the mosque, and I mean, the, par- the parking lot, all you saw was cars everywhere. Can I tell you in here, my friend, that, 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 that Islam, they are faithful to pray to their God five times a day, and we struggle to pray a two-minute prayer before a meal alone? We, we need to wake up to this thing and stop this half-hearted Christianity thing. This, hey, I'll show up when it's convenient. I'll do what I want to do when it's convenient. You know, I, I guess I'm just different because I've always had the spirit of, hey, what do you need me to do? What can I serve? What, what can I do? Where can you use me? Hey, hey, plug me in somewhere. I want to be in the action. I want to roll my sleeves up. I want to get dirty. I want to, I, I want to do this thing. Let's, let, let's tear into it. Let's get busy. Hey, you need help passing out tracks? Let's do it. Hey, give me a street. I'll do it. Hey, I've always been of that, of that demeanor, but here's the thing. Uh, we get lackadaisical. And and I'll just tell you, our country is only going to get worse in that way. Times are different. Times are just different. Those those who who were uh, born in around the uh, World War II area, Tom Brokaw called them the greatest generation. They were people who believed in eight hours work for eight hours pay. They were were of that generation to where you could go to a car lot and say, I want that one, shake hands on it, drive away in the car, and and make your payments without any paperwork. They were of that type of generation where they can do those sort of things. Let me just say, we are long gone past that. Long gone. 
A country of character, a country of hard work. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. But let me say this, it, it, uh, you, you, ought to, you ought to feel ashamed. I'm not trying to put shame on you, but we ought to feel ashamed if we are lazy Christians. We just ought to. Hey, get up and get busy. Start your day like you got something going on. You say, what's this have to do with the message? Absolutely everything. Because if we're lazy in the basic necessities of our life, we're going to be lazy with the gospel. You say, are you, are you preaching to yourself? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I want you to see that they were also men who fasted and prayed. Hey, there was some, what, what, what am I saying? The men who God used to turn this world upside down, yes, at the end of the day, they were just men like you and I. But they were charactered men. They were men of integrity. In chapter 13, verses 2 through 3, prayer is the great foundation for all Christian ministry. When the disciples found uh, themselves unable to meet the need of the burdened father, Jesus explained to them the cause of their powerlessness. If you would look at Matthew 17 with me, verse 20. Look at Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. Real quick, keep your finger there in Acts. I'll begin reading, jump in there. We're going to read uh, Matthew 17, verses 20 and 21. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Before we walk, before we talk to the people about God, we should talk to God about the people. Lord, give me a burden for my neighborhood. Give me a burden for my neighbors. Give me a burden for that coworker. Give me a burden for those, those folks that I talk to down at the, at the gym. Give me a burden for these things. But they were men who fasted and prayed. And we see here uh, very clearly laid out, they were faithful in the church. They were there. They were faithful in fasting and praying. They had that communication with God. And I want you to see, thirdly, they were men who were filled with the Spirit. They were men who were filled with the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit was not intended just for Paul and Barnabas. Every Christian in every age is commanded to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, when people read Ephesians 5.18, they're so focused on the be not filled with wine part that they miss what the verse is about. See there, you're not supposed to drink alcohol. And I'm not for alcohol, uh, uh, but, but that, that's not the main concern of that verse. The main concern is to be filled with the Spirit. And I'll tell you right now, you're, you're not going to be walking in the fullness of the Spirit. You're not going to be able to walk without quenching the Spirit if you're walking around living your life, your sinless ways, not communing, not walking with the Lord. How do you become filled with the Spirit? I'm glad you asked. By abiding with Christ in prayer and in the Word and emptying ourselves of sin and self and pride and asking Him to fill us, uh, yielding uh, ourselves to His control. And if you want more on that, later on, look at John 15, verses 1-8. through How can someone tell if you're filled with the Spirit? Well, by... <coughs> How is that possible? By demonstrating the fruit only He can fully produce. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We need humility. You know that the tree with the most fruit 
bows lowest to the ground. See, sometimes we like to walk around and brag on what we did. We're not bringing missionaries in here to brag to other churches that, hey, we're supporting 65 missionaries. You're doing it at $5 a person, but we're supporting 50 missionaries. It's not a bragging thing. We're doing it because we want to see the, the uttermost reached. That's where I want us to have the burden for, to reach the uttermost. I want you to see, secondly in here, the cities the missionaries reached. The cities the missionaries reached. As Paul and Barnabas were sent on their way, they reached people with the gospel in these following six cities. Absolutely phenomenal. And let me just say this, that not all these cities, they didn't all just say, hey, come in, pull up a cup of coffee, sit down, uh, we're welcoming you in. No, some of these cities, they were stoned and left for dead. Could you imagine that? Absolutely amazing, the commitment that these had. But let, let me tell you this, these men would not have that commitment if God would have pulled them up being half-hearted Christians, serving once in a while, doing the once in a while thing, because what they do in their everyday life is going to reflect what they do for Jesus Christ. If you've got no character integrity in your everyday life, it will bleed over into your service for Christ. It just will. It goes that way. Preacher, you're a meanie head. Where did they go? Chapter 13, verse 5, they went to Salamis. Salamis was a city on the east coast of the island of Cyprus. This island, approximately 60 miles wide and 140 miles long. This is, this is where they went. Excuse me, 60 miles wide, 140 miles long, lies in the eastern portion of the Mediterranean Sea. It was here that Barnabas had previously sold land to help meet the needs of the young congregation in Jerusalem, found in Acts 4. Now he returned to his homeland as a missionary. The focal point of New Testament missions is delivering the word of God. Every local church and individual Christian must strive to accomplish this task. And here, here's the thing. This is what we get bent out of shape of. We, we, some, somewhere along the way, we got in our minds that our purpose is to get them saved. It's not our job to get them saved. It is our responsibility to present them with the gospel. It's our job to tell them. It's his job to save them and keep them. So simply put, but preacher, nobody ever gets saved when I tell them. But you planted a seed. But you got to water. You got to do something. And so it's not our job. You, you know, I walk away sometimes and I think, man, uh, how could you not, after everything I just showed you, how could you not accept that? It's not my job to make them accept it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict their hearts. It's their free-willed, job to either accept the gospel or to reject the gospel. The focal point of the New Testament missions is delivering the word, and that's it. Whether you teach a Sunday school class or visit in a rest home or drive a church bus or give to missions, your primary objective is to introduce the word of God to those who need to hear it. Paul also emphasized the central role of the word of God in 1 Thessalonians. He said, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You know, we've got missionaries who I'll, I'll call sometimes and, um, and it was encouraging. Can I say this better? You are over the 10 years that I've been pastoring and all of those years I've had one missionary call me and say, hey, I just want to check on you and see how your church is doing. I've had one missionary in 10 years do that. 
Can I say, you want to bless that pastor in that church? Don't call just to ask for money, but call and say, is there anything I can pray for the church members? Hey, matter of fact, pastor, could you send us one of your church prayer lists? Now, don't bug me with that because I'm busy, but, but that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing, but do you get what I'm saying here? Hey, I, look at the, I don't look as, okay, we're going to send you X amount of dollars a month. We'll see you in four or five years when you come over here on a furlough. No, I look at it as we're partnering together. <clears throat> their ministry in the city of Salamis teaches us about their purpose. They preach the word of God. Now I want you to see, secondly, they went to Paphos. Paphos. <clears throat> The verses are up on the screen there if you, want, if you want those to read them later. But after traveling the, the length of the island, Paul's team arrived in Paphos on the west coast of Cyprus. Paphos was the capital city and the base of operations for the Roman government on the island. After encountering a Roman uh, deputy with an open heart, Paul, Barnabas, and their traveling companion, John Mark, were confronted by a wicked sorcerer who attempted to hinder the ministry. We find that in verse 12. But because these men were filled with them and empowered by the Holy Spirit, not only was the sorcerer confounded and even blinded, but the deputy was saved. Whenever the work of God moves forward, whether in the life of one, of, uh, 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 of one Christian or the ministry of the entire church, we can expect spiritual opposition. It's going to happen. You decide, hey, I'm going to get going. I'm going to, I'm going to teach this class. I'm going to show up for soul winning. I'm going, to, I'm going to serve in this area of the church. I'm going to jump in the nursery. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to serve. Hey, expect opposition to come. It's going to. It's going to. <clears throat> I remember I had to call the Christian Law Association for a matter one time. And, uh, and I was talking about all the things that I was, deal that I was, hit, that I was trying to sort out. And uh, it wasn't anything major, but he I just wanted some advice from them, make sure I did things correct correctly, and, uh, and uh, at the end of the conversation, one of the attorneys who I was talking to, he said, he said wow, he said, I, I have to say that we're encouraged that you're going through these problems right now. I said, what? <laughs> Wait a minute now, that's not what I want to hear. He said, no, it shows you're doing something for God. It shows that Satan does not like you right now. He said, keep it up. And I thought, man, that was a different perspective I didn't want to see. There's going to be opposition. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.11, I'll just, just, it talks about putting on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. I want you to see thirdly here, we're trying to make our way through these six uh, cities here real quickly, uh, Antioch. Many of you know about Antioch. The Bible says that the Christians were called Christians first at Antioch. After the deputy's salvation in Paphos, the team sailed north to the Mediterranean to the seaport Perga, journeying to Antioch, a city in the region known as Pisidia, Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey is where that is, is where they went to, the third place they went. Many ancient cities were named Antioch. This city is different from the Antiochs from which Paul and Barnabas were sent. The heart of the chapter of chapter 13 records Paul's great gospel sermon delivered outside the synagogue. The sermon was so anointed that the next week, in verse 44, it says, came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Did you hear that? Woo! 
Could you imagine going to a city and being so filled with the Holy Spirit, so, so, so prepared, uh, so ready to have God use you, that the Bible says uh, that, that, that the, almost the whole city came out to hear, not the preacher. They didn't come to see the, the, the circus, Ringling Brothers. They didn't come to see this preacher put on a talent show and do cartwheels all over the pulpit. No, hey, they came to hear, the Bible says, the Word of God. And that's what we must lift up in our churches. And that's what we must lift up in the mission field. Incredible. Of course, some of the Jews did not like the message of Jesus and the Messiah. So as Paul turned his attention to the Gentiles, the Bible tells us that they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed in verse 48. Preaching is God's choice method for reaching people with the gospel. That's it. That's what he sets out for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew that God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I've often said he didn't say the foolishness of preachers. He said the foolishness of preaching. Their ministry in the city of Antioch teaches us about Paul's preaching. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said in verse 16, but now, hey, they didn't stop in Antioch. You remember, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say stop, stop here. He said, keep on going. Where did they go next? They went to Iconium in chapter 14. Traveling southwest, or excuse me, southeast from Antioch, having been driven away by the, by the growing and angry mob of Jews, Paul and Barnabas arrived in the city there at Iconium. According to the Holman Bible Dictionary, today this city is known as Kanya, which is basically the capital of Turkey. The response in Iconium was similar to other cities where Paul and Barnabas took the gospel. At first, a great number believed, but shortly after, troubled and entrenched religious leaders stirred up the people, causing some danger. And in spite of this, for a long time, the men preached boldly in this city, and this not only, not until the people literally picked up stones to cast at the missionary team that they moved to Lystra. And Paul and Barnabas were righteous men with the right message. They would not be intimidated. They, listen, church, look up here for a moment. They were, so, they were so entrenched in the fact that this is the gospel, this is God's word, this is true, it is the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. Hey, this, what we have, is what we're commissioned to take. This is what we're going to do. We believe it wholeheartedly. And so they preached it with boldness. And they didn't, hey, throw rocks at me. Hey, try to stone me. Hey, I'm going to keep on moving forward for Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm talking about that our church needs, that our community needs, that this world needs, is a boldness for Christ. Don't let the these false doctrines and these false prophets come in and try to teach you something different. Stand up and raise up your voice. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and proclaim the Word of God. There's different areas each year that I try to improve upon. And one of the areas that I'm working on this year, I'm just telling you, I get books. I get a set amount of books I want to read each, each month. I, I, I get different things. One of, the, one of the areas is in speaking that I'm trying to not perfect, but, but to make better. And I, I've got a couple different coaches that I've been, that I've been dealing with and, and saying, hey, all right, help me with this. And I'm not saying so that I can sound good from this pulpit, but in my communication when I'm out there talking to people so that I don't look like a fool that I'm representing Christ in the correct way. Does that make sense? One of the areas uh, that one of these coaches did, he, he, gave, he gives this illustration. He was in a mall and he took tape and he 
put out a square, maybe, maybe 10 foot by 10 foot, taped off an area, and he stood there, and it was right in the middle where people had to walk through. And he stood there, and, and he simply would say, stay out of my box. That, that's all he said, stay out of my box. And they, they view him, and, uh, and when he's talking, he's saying, stay out of my box. People were walking through his box. They, they literally will bump him over to, to keep walking because they don't care. He says, stay out of my box. They said, what happens if you speak, and this is the difference, when you speak more boldly? They said, okay, now here's, here's trial two. Raise it up a little bit. Stay out of my box. Stay out of my box. Stay out of my box. And a couple people would revert, and, but more people would just keep walking through. They said, right now we want you to say it boldly. Stay out of my box. Stay out of my box. Everyone were tripping over themselves to stay out of that box. There was nothing in the box. It was a taped off square. He wasn't saying it harshly. Stay out of my box. He was showing the difference that when you say, stay out of my box. Stay out of my box. Thank you. Was that Cameron? Oh, I don't know. Well, good job, whoever helped me. What I'm trying to say is we can't go into the world with this, if you want the gospel, you know, take it. Hey, can I give you some good news? Hey, let's believe what we're giving them. Hey, let's be excited about what we're giving them. Oh, it's only going to give you eternal life. You're never going to die spiritually. You're going to live in heaven forever. Uh, but it's nothing to be, be excited about. Get pumped up. I'm not telling you to be fake. I'm not telling you to get a, a, an over-exaggerated thing there. But I'm telling you to get excited about it. Uh, you've heard me every once in a while talk to you about the dog training. We got our golden retriever. And, uh, and I tell you what, I love my house. And when that dog makes an accident, I do not like it. And uh, so I, I'm, watching, I'm watching videos on how to train this dog and how to get it excited. And you got to get extra excited. And when you get down there, you got to go potty. You got to go potty. Come on, let's go, boy. Let's go. Let's go potty. Let's go potty. And we're getting excited about that thing. The only problem is I get, I, it bleeds over to my family. I'm like, Jenny, you got to go to the potty? Let's go potty. Come on. Come on. And, uh, <laughs> she's not in here right now. That's why I could say that. She'll kill me later. But you know what these dog trainers, they say, hey, you got to go potty? They're going to walk past you. So we train them. His name's Bruno. Bruno, outside. Firm. Firm. Not mean. Firm. Say it like you mean it. Say it like you believe it. That's what I'm trying to say in here today. Hey, we ought not be these little, these little cuddled, hide in the corner, afraid that they're going to get angry with us. Once again, remember what I said? It's not our job to make sure they get saved. Of course, we follow through with that. We want them to. But our job is to simply present them the information. It's their job to accept or reject. <clears throat> Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Where else did they go? Number five, they went to Lystra. They went to Lystra. Traveling further south, the men arrived in Lystra after a miraculous start with the healing of the lame man. The ministry team saw the widest swing in public opinion possible. Paul's approval rating went from being an object of worship to being a victim of stoning. Unbelieving Jews had literally followed Paul all the way from, from Antioch to their, to their effort to silence his messenger, and they provoked the citizens of Lystra to stone him. Later, Paul recounted this season to his son in the ministry. And, and can, can, I, can I just say this, that I've found many times uh, after I've experienced 
uh, a great victory spiritually, physically, whatever the case is, and I'm on the high mountaintop, excited and ready to charge hell with a squirt gun, I find that many times uh, that Satan was trailing me. Uh Uh-uh, you're not getting away so fast, Nathan. And he tries to throw water on you. And he he, he pulls out those people who are going to make fun of you and attack you and persecute you, whatever the case may be. I found that many a times, but realize this, uh, that just because you came out of something good doesn't mean that God's trying to put you in something bad. It doesn't mean that God's forsaken you. It means Satan is chasing after you like a roaring lion, uh, and he's trying to get you. He doesn't want to see you prosper. So be ready for that. Be ready for that. The ministry in the city of Lystra teaches us that missionaries are sometimes required to endure great persecution. Having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now, this wasn't just a, they threw a couple rocks and hit him in the head. They stoned him to the point they thought he was dead. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto uh, to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. You see here, when God puts you up to it, He's going to see you through it. That old saying, I can't remember who said it, but where God guides, He provides The reality is God's not going to call you to do something and leave you for dead. Hey, he's going to see you through it. Now, I'm not saying that, hey, are there Christians? I just read read yesterday that 120 Christians were were, uh, slaughtered by Islam in some country. I don't even know what country it was. I can't remember. That doesn't mean that you're not going to, hey, some are going to suffer persecution. Do a, I've done it before. I'm not going to rehash it here today. But, but go and do a study on the 12, uh, on the 12 uh, apostles and see how each of them died. Boiled in oil, crucified upside down because he, he didn't feel worthy to be crucified upright like Jesus. Flayed. <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. These men paid an ultimate price, but look at what they accomplished. Look at what they accomplished. Turn the world upside down. And I want you to see the last city here that we're going to look at today is Derby. <clears throat> we're not sure how Barnabas escaped the same fate as Paul and Lystra, but after Paul recovered from having been stoned, they thought he was dead, and, or they would, wouldn't have stopped the stoning. He reunited with Barnabas and quickly traveled to the nearby city of Derby. Preaching and teaching go hand in hand in the work of winning people to Christ and grounding them in the faith. It's not enough. Okay, I got saved. I'm good. I'll get baptized, but that's it. No, you need a healthy diet of the Word of God. You need a healthy diet of the preaching. You need a healthy diet in the Word of God. You need a healthy diet in prayer. You need that. Matthew 11:1. 1, and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Their ministry in the city of Derby teaches the ministry pattern of Paul and Barnabas preached and taught. Preached and taught. Thirdly and lastly, the church the missionaries established. And we'll be finished here. Hang in there with me. We're almost done. After the preaching, the, and the traveling, the miracles, the long days, the evening, the, even the stoning, their work was not done because with Derby, Paul and Barnabas worked their way back in reverse order. Isn't this incredible? 
Could you imagine the temptation? You know, I think we're going to go ahead and stay outside of Lystra on this trip. They went back in reverse order to make sure these new congregations were firmly established. You don't build a work, leave it, and leave it to itself. They went back and they were making sure. That's why churches should check in on missionaries. Uh, can I say this? I've had missionaries I'll call and say, hey, how's this month been? How's this year going? I've had missionaries that we support that I've called say, well, you know, uh, um, I could tell they were hesitant. Uh, we only saw like four saved this year. And I said, praise God. I said, how many, how many gospel, how many gospel um, presentations so, or whatever you want to call it did you give? Oh, we gave probably 100 this year, but we had four. I said, you're doing great. Keep it up. I don't call to check on you to say, all right, give me the numbers if you don't have 50 saved and baptized every month. It's amazing. Some churches require their missionaries to do more than they're doing in their field. But that church is doing it on the resources of 250 people, and that missionary is doing it on the resources of 20 people. But they better have, oh, no, 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 no. no. It's not about how many he's getting saved. It's about are they doing the job and getting the gospel out? Are they doing it? I want you to see they taught the new believers in the churches. Once someone has received Christ the Savior, the real work of discipling and training and mentoring begins. The easy part is giving them the gospel. Then the work comes in. All right, you need to be baptized. All right, now you need to you follow through. You know, when I, Mr. Leaf, when I got baptized... Oscar Cox didn't come over and say, all right, now, here's the six-month plan. You probably ought to wait six months before you get baptized just to make sure you really are comfortable with it. Uh, no, he came to me. He said, Nathan, you got saved, right? I did. He said, all right, now, we're baptizing this Sunday night. Bring a change of clothes. Amen. I was 12 years old, <laughs> which was absolutely incredible because my mom and dad got saved a couple weeks before that from Brother Cox preaching. It's amazing what preaching does. You know, the majority of the, the spiritual decisions I make in, in times past have been from the preaching of the Word of God at an altar. I love that song, that's what this altar is for. You don't have to carry those burdens anymore. That's what this altar is for. Most of the decisions I have make have been because after the preaching of the Word of God. Can I encourage you? Hey, stay in the preaching. Can I say this? That just as parents with a newborn baby have to exercise great care for nurturing the growth of their new baby, so we, we, we Christians need to help nurture the growth of baby Christians. You lead them to Christ, you get them baptized, and you leave them alone, more than likely, probably 95% of the time, they're going to flounder, and you're never going to see them again. And a Jehovah's Witness is going to eat them up. Crossroads is going to eat them up. Mormons are going to eat them up. When I say eat them up, I mean they're going to get them and they're going to train them. You did the work, they're going to train them. And it happens all the time. Why? Because we're not busy doing the work that God's given us to do. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. And lastly, they traveled back to the church that sent them. A great benefit of supporting missionaries is meeting and hearing from these heroes of the faith who are being used of God in faraway places. 
It's absolutely incredible. The concept of missionaries returning to their sending and supporting churches to give a report of what God accomplished finds its biblical roots here in the closing verse of Acts chapter 14. Now, I gave you a bunch of stuff today, and I can't tell you everything that Holy Spirit's wanting to do in your heart. Holy Spirit does that. But I laid out for you the, the, the pattern here of what the missionaries did. Paul and Barnabas, man, they were getting the job done. But it wasn't just them. It was the rest of the disciples. We are called to take it forward, to advance the gospel, to advance the gospel, to advance the gospel. I sat down with a missionary one time and I said, I said, what are you doing to advance the gospel in your community? And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I said, I played, I played football in high school. I said, when I played football, our goal was to advance that ball down the field. Ultimately, we wanted to get the touchdown. But sometimes we could only gain at least that 10 yards. But you know what we were doing? We were advancing down the field. We were getting to where we needed to be. It wasn't, it wasn't a Hail Mary touchdown every time. It was rarely that. But you know what we did? Sometimes a few yards at a time. Sometimes one yard at a time. But we were advancing it down. Let me ask you in here today as I'm getting ready to go to the invitation time, how are you advancing the gospel in this world? How many of you truly believe that Jesus Christ could come back today? Raise your hand. All right, I just tricked you. If we truly believe that, and we truly believe that this world is mostly lost, what are we doing? What is our emphasis on? The reality is, we can get our priorities so out of place, and I'm guilty. You get through the week, and you're like, man, I was supposed to get this done at home. I was supposed to fix this. I was supposed to do that. Yesterday, I got one of my honey-do lists together. Uh, I, 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 uh, my boys' dressers, they've got a six... Uh, chest of dressers and uh, drawers, six drawers in there. And, uh, and so uh, I got, I, I, some of them were broken. They're the wood sliders and all that stuff. So I went and got me my router bit. I got my, my, my uh, garage all set up in my workshop. And yesterday evening I worked and I got all those finished. It was something I was supposed to do months ago, but, I, but life happens. And then finally my wife said, um, you've got until midnight tonight and I'm buying a new dresser. <laughs> it happened because I ain't spending a few hundred dollars on dresser. You know what? In life, we, 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 we've got we to think of this. Lord could come back today. Don't put off what you're supposed to be doing today. Tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Today. Live today. Live today as if this is your last day that God's given you. Don't, don't, don't go to bed with that. You're not going to accomplish everything you want to accomplish. I've got a list as long as my arm of things I want to get accomplished. Are you advancing the gospel? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to have a simple invitation time here in just a moment where you can come down to this altar and you can say, Lord, help me to put my priorities back in the right place. And I want to ask you that real quick. Let me say, Pastor, there's some priorities in my life, and I don't want to know what they are. It's your business between you and God. There's some priorities in my life that I need to get straightened out. Would you you raise your hand and say, that's me. I testify that. Thank you. Thank you. Can I say this, that life, it usually just continues to pile up and get more hectic and more hectic. Prioritize your life right now, today, tonight. Get it prioritized. Put what matters most at the top of that list and work on it. Family relationships, your relationship with the Lord, your discipling time, your, your, your witnessing time. Hey, these are priorities that must have preeminence, that must have, uh, excuse me, not preeminence, but must be factored correctly into our lives. 
Is there anyone in here that does not know for sure they're going to heaven? Would you say, Pastor Lang, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. I've never. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com.